Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, Toby Mathis here with the Anderson Podcast. Today I have Benson Pang. Welcome, Benson, first off. Thank you. It's such an honor to be on your show. We love it. We've known Benson for quite a while. He's not only uh, just an investor, he's also a business owner and has a good mortgage company there in uh, Monrovia, California, right? Yep, yep. I always want to call your wife, but I know she's like your partner, Mimi. Yep, she's my partner in crime, my wife, my uh, mom of two kids. (laughs) Yep. So she's a rock star too. So we've known these guys for a long time. If you've ever been to an executive retreat, you probably met them because they like to come out and hang out. But today we're going to focus in like a laser beam on uh, the mortgage industry and what's going on there. What kind of products are out there for investors? What kind of products are out there for uh, everybody, just people that are buying houses? And so I wanted to bring Benson on to say what's going on because there's so much stuff like our printing presses are running until their smoke's coming out of them because they're printing money so dang fast. And what is that going to do to our wonderful world of, of lending? So let's start there. Yeah. What's going on? So what, how many packages has it been? So there's trillions and trillions of dollars pumping into the economy, right? Yep. So I think having that amount of money going into the economy, everyone's wallet's got fan. People are gushing into the market to buy a house. So if you don't already own a house, you probably are thinking about buying because you're feeling your rate, uh, your rent increase. And then at the same time, all the homes are going up as well. And you're trying to get a piece of it and the stimulus checks are coming in. So you want a piece of it. If I'm a renter, if I live at home, I probably want a piece of it. So, and then last year in 2020, a lot of healthcare workers as well, they don't want to work at the hospital and then bring it back home. So they're also looking to buy a house to be away from their family, you know, for their family's sake. And then on top of that, people who are in the last couple of years, people have a lot of children. So they're also looking to upgrade. So a lot of home buyers are coming into the market to buy with the new money coming in. That's interesting. So you had healthcare workers who said, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm putting myself at risk. And they're either renting or buying another home. Is that what you were seeing? So that they could say, hey, I'm going to go to my safe place so I don't infect my family. Did you you saw that? Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the healthcare workers, they're given um, a certain amount of money from the hospital. You know, some places are giving out money so then they can rent a hotel nearby. So instead of renting a hotel, they'll use that money to go buy a house and use it for a mortgage payment instead. That's interesting. And so in in my neck of the woods, I'm in Vegas here in California. We saw a lot of issues with, you couldn't even get financing on a house. Like you had to have come with cash. Were you seeing that as an issue in these situations when they're going out there bidding on these properties or what was it? Was it pretty mellow there? Oh gosh. Uh, We in California, we're looking at between 50 to even $300,000 above asking price. Right. In some rare cases, we're seeing $1 million above asking price. Not sure if that's a listing agent kind of tactic, but but you see a lot of demands going in. On top of that, appraisals are also having some small problems. 
we don't have enough appraisers to appraise all the homes that are uh, be, could be the, due to the pandemic. But the, these homes are getting harder and harder to appraise because how are you going to justify a hundred thousand dollar over asking price? So in California, it's hard to get into a property. So this is where the lender come in and say, "Hey, how fast can we close a escrow? Do we need all the contingencies?" How can we make your offer as good as cash that you can compete with a cash offer? You ever have people that that just buy cash and then cash out immediately do a refi to say, hey, I just want to get it, Benson, and I can you refi and get my money back? Absolutely. And that's a that's really a talk with your um, with your loan officer, just because you know, there are a few ways of doing around uh, doing this. It, one way is called the delay financing. So basically you're buying the house and you're taking a cash out refinance afterwards. In some cases, they can put a lien on the house. Mm-hmm. You can have a friend or, or like some someone putting a lien on the house. So you're just refinancing that lien out of that house. But at the same time, you're still doing a cash offer. Is that easier than doing it without a lien when you're just doing, hey, I just want to re- cash out refi? It's, versus- they're both pretty easy. Obviously, if you have that kind of uh, resources, that, that would be a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. And then are there any lenders that maybe specialize in, you know, it sounds like a bridge loan almost like where they're coming in saying, Hey, I'll, I'll give you the cash to buy it, but I need, I, you got 60 days to refi it. Like, do you ever see that? Or are you seeing, Hey, these people have to come in cash out of pocket buy and then do a traditional refi? Yes. Yes. Uh, there, there are places. I think um, there's actually a couple of FinTech companies that do that, but at a cost. So you're bidding on top of what is already expensive house, right? Uh, so you you might be buying it over the market value, and then you're also adding that borrowing costs on top of it. And now you go refinance, and you, your value is it going to be there for you to take the cash back out? What's the uh, rate like? So you say expensive, but I know the Californians sell a house in California and come to Vegas and go, my God, everything's on sale. Right. And then they bid it up like crazy, but they want to get cash out to live, but they might be sitting on, Hey, I got $2 million from the sale of my property and I'm going to go put it down, but then I need to get that back out. Is there a difference on the rate they'll pay or what percentage if they do it that way versus just coming in and financing right at the beginning? So there's a little trick I do because when you do a cash, when you do a delay financing, it's a cash out refi, right? And yeah. cash out refi, and as you probably know, Fannie Mae is is a risk based company. Like they manage risk, so every risk it costs money to the borrower. In this case, cashing out money is a risk. So to mitigate that, like to answer a question, yes. When you do a cash out refi, it's more expensive than you just going out to buy a house as a purchase loan. In fact, now, if you just simply refinance, there's a 0.5 cost that Fannie Mae added as an adverse marketing fee for all the refinances today. So you get a little ding if you do it this way, but you'll get the house because you're not, again, if I'm if I'm a seller and I have two offers, one's for a million one, and the other's for a million, but one has financing contingency and the other one doesn't, I'm probably taking the cash, right? Yes, but there's a little trick around it. So if, let's say if I were to go out and buy a house and I have a million dollars in the bank, I would put a deed of trust, a short form deed of trust on that new house that I'm going to buy. Let's mm-hmm. say I want to I want to finance 80%, so $800,000. So mm-hmm. I put a short short form deed of trust. So after I close escrow, I'll go to the lender 
to get the loan. And now it's a rate and term refinance instead of a Okay. Will they let you do that even if it's your own deed or could you do that with your own entity? Could you do that with a friend? What's the I would deal? stick to, I'll, I'll try not to use my myself as a, as a trustee, right? I'll probably use, use a friend or, or a family member to do it. That's pretty wild. What if somebody has like a retirement account, you have a buddy that's got a big fat retirement account. Could you go to them and say, Hey, oh, yeah. I got the cash, but I want you to lean this maybe Just for a lot. Sure yeah. Yeah. Make sure you take care of him after. Yeah. <laughs> So it saves you uh, half a point, right? Or it would save, yeah, three eighths of a point to have a point. Absolutely. All right. So on a million dollar property, that's a big chunk of money, right? Yeah, eight hundred thousand dollar loan. That's four thousand dollar. And then when you're buying, are you seeing that it is what I'm perceiving here in Vegas? It might be different there, but are you seeing that coming in and requiring financing contingencies is costing people deals? Is is that a reality or it's it's a real thing? It's a real thing. So I would you know I would advise all the all the home buyers. Instead of talking to a real estate agent first, you should probably talk to a loan officer and really get that process going to get yourself pre-approved, get all the documents reviewed. So then you get a higher chance. Like let's say if you're W-2 file, right? Vanilla file, you're probably going to be guaranteed to get that loan, that mortgage. Now you don't really need that financing contingency. And then if you're bidding over the house, you already know you're overpaying. You might not even need the appraisal contingency with that mindset, obviously. You need to figure out what the what the worst case scenario, and that's where I come in and help you understand the the risk of you removing any of the contingencies. So the least amount of contingency you can do to get into an escrow, the more higher of a chance you get into escrow. It's all risk, right? Yeah, risk. No, that makes sense. Shifting gears slightly is. We're talking about residential loans for house you might be moving into, but what if I'm looking at a property that I want to acquire, make it into a rental, duplex, triplex, fourplex, something like that? What are my options there? Are you finding that it's easy to loan on those two? So if you already own your own primary home and you're looking to buy an investment, mm -hmm. that shouldn't be a problem, right? If you're trying to game the system, it might create a problem. So talk to a loan officer. Recently, a lot of these uh, non you know, alternative loan programs have come back online. So one of the programs that we we're offering and we have, it's pretty hot right now. It's called a DSCR loan, debt service coverage ratio. So as long as your income covers the PITI, your monthly payment, then you should be able to get the loan. In some cases, you don't even need to cover the whole thing to get the loan. So I'm, I'm looking at a, I already have my own house and I'm, maybe I'm going to get a duplex. It's $500,000. And I say, you know, I don't want to tie up all my cash in the duplex. So I can, I can basically get financing for what's the typical thing, 70% uh, loan to value, or is it 75% loan to value? So 25% down, you get a pretty nice conventional loan. Okay, so I so I throw down, let's say it's five hundred thousand. So I I put down one hundred twenty five thousand. I you know the, the rest is is being financed. Typical rates are they decent right now? Are they going to go up, down? What do you think? They're great. They're uh, they're in the low threes. You know, they're in the low threes, thirty year fix right now, zero points. Um, your balloon or anything like that? No balloon, no prepayment penalty. So. Obviously, the, the again, it's risk-based. So if you're buying a single family versus a duplex versus a three to four unit, they all have different pricing. So that's absolutely a conversation there. Do you know any PITI numbers off of like, a, a again, a loan of maybe 400000 off the top of your head? 
so he could figure out what the rents would look like. So on a $500,000 house with 25% down, you're probably looking at about $2,300 mm-hmm. in PITI. And so would you need to have $2,300 a month coming in in rent or net income? So if you're qualifying for a conventional loan, we look at the global. So we look at your your income, your credit, your, your assets, right? Mm-hmm. But your income from your personal employment and then on top of your other, uh, your investment properties, rental income. And you can also use the house that you're trying to buy, 75% of the gross rental. It's all added up to calculate that debt to income ratio. So if the ratio is right, then you'll be able to get a loan. What's the typical ratio if you're just looking at the rents? So if you're looking at the rents, I mean, if I have a lower personal income to come in mm-hmm. and qualify, I probably want to at least have the house paying paying for itself. But is that is that what they're going to look at? Or are they going to look at you, your personal credit, everything, lump it all together and then figure it out? But I have lower income because I'm really good at doing some tax strategies or because I have a bunch of real estate and I'm already depreciating the heck out of things and I'm a real estate professional, so it's knocking me down. If they look at just the income stream, is it just the gross income stream or do they do they play around and say, hey, we'll, we'll allocate 70% of the of the gross rentals towards the payment and we'll, we'll use that kind of factoring? So in the conventional loan, we use 75% of the gross rental. Nice. Uh, earlier when I talk about the DSCR mm-hmm. loan, we use 100% of the gross rental. Wow. So, okay. So we know that's not really going to happen. So I'll just say this as a caveat. Don't do that if, if <laughs> you don't have like this. The tax, your tax scenario may not be your cash scenario, right? I could still be showing $50,000 of income, but actually have access to 150, right? Because of the way real estate works. So make sure that it's not going to put you in a cash flow crunch. But wow, you could really loan. And that's that's not so bad. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So a lot of like real estate investors, they might have a couple of years where they, they're trying to maneuver things and they're not showing positive income on their tax return. So they'll use this program, uh, buy the house for a couple of years, and then refinance into a conventional loan. Fantastic. I mean, I've never been a big fan of debt, but I understand leveraging assets. So, you know, and this is one of those great situations where you're leveraging an asset. Yeah, I think a lot of times when people think about a 30-year fixed loan or 30-year amortization loan, it's, in my opinion, it's not a 30-year thing. It's more so just temporarily cash flow issues. You got to take mm-hmm. care of things. You can pay it off whenever you want after, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. You could be attacking it, but what it's doing is allowing you to leverage the cash that you have maybe into two or three properties that you're in a comfortable situation to then attack the paydowns. How many properties can you actually do under conventional lending? So if I have, if I want to buy five or six duplexes, is that going to be a problem or do I have a cap? Five to six, you're not going to have a problem. If you're talking about 10 plus, then we'll probably have a problem. 10 plus finance properties. Right. So you could have the backing, Freddie Fannie on on 10. And then once that's the magic number, and then you're now you need to go to the asset-based lender. We know those guys too. Yeah. I mean, in some cases you can probably lump a couple of the properties into one loan. Mm -hmm. So you have a couple of low balance properties. You're trying to move it over to a property that has a higher equity. Interesting. So you might say, hey, that'll take away one of those loans. And this one has a little more room. So sometimes don't think of it as a loan per property. Think of it as a loan to the value of all your properties. Is that it? Yeah. Do you help people with that? 
yeah, we'll we'll go through their portfolio and then we'll provide some recommendations. Yeah, I'm just going to put a caveat. That's why we talk to people that actually invest, guys, because, you know, typical mortgage broker, typical lender, they're trying to fit you in a box. Make sure that somebody understands what it, what it is that your goal is. If I want to acquire 10 properties, 10 loans, maybe I should be looking at it as how much loan to the, how much value I should be, because I may be able to get there with five properties, right? And I don't have loans on the other five, but I'm using the value and that allows me to have more additional loans. If I want to do that again, I may be picking up 20 properties. Still, I only have 10 loans. Is that a fair way to assess it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So let's go back to all the crap that's going on right now. Again, the printing presses are, are going crazy. We're printing dollars. We have six trillion dollars on the floor right now that that, that may come through. What's going to happen to interest rates? And should be, people be refining now? Should they be looking at doing loans now? Should they be waiting? Look into your crystal ball and tell us. What do you think? Well, with all the money printing, and as we all know that when there's printing, there's inflation. We all, we can all feel it. We can all see it, right? Mm-hmm. In front of our eyes. My Uber, my Uber ride from from uh, the airport to my house the other day went up at least twenty percent. So the millennial <laughs> inflation that's yeah, um, lumber cost is going up too, right? Two three times what he, what it cost before. So yeah. all that inflation. What it really means to interest rate is the feds are going to be afraid of the inflation. So they might start raising the interest rate, which is what's going on today. Everyone's afraid of the feds increasing interest rate. So in the mortgage-backed security world, they're also trying to raise the interest rate to to hedge against wow. what may happen. That's scary. They're afraid to even talk about it because they think it's going to tank the uh, the recovery and we still have artificial inhibitors in the economy with the with this massive amount of federal unemployment that's being kicked out. I think that 24 states, 25 states now have opted out, maybe even more, because they realize it's not having the desired effect on their economy. Yeah. But you just have a lot of fear going on. So they're like scared to say that the, the nasty word of raising interest rates. Yeah. So they're they're afraid of saying anything right now. Because mm-hmm. not only you have to say what's going to happen today, you also have to say what's going to happen next week or next month, right? The feds last year had mentioned that they're going to keep the rates low until 2022. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen afterwards? But when it comes to refinancing, I think... A lot of people have the misconception of that it costs money to refinance, that there's whatever rate you see on the billboard is the rate for them. But that's how they catch your attention. They're not there to tell you the interest rate. They're, t- they're, they're there to, to make your phone ring, make their phone ring. So I think this is where a mortgage broker will come in and help tailor a solution for, for the client and give them the right choice. Because it really depends on what your goal is, right? Everyone has a different goal. My goal is to live here for the next 15 years, but some people, their goal is to live there for five five to seven years and then they move on. So at that point, are you going to buy the points or are you going to get some credit to help with the closing cost? So it's not just one interest rate. It's a, it's a spectrum of it. And which one's the right one, I think, is the conversation with your loan officer. Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, whenever you're calculating, I don't mean to put you on the spot just because I tend to be mean. But to, again, debt's not my favorite thing. 
how hard should somebody be working to, to buy a house? Like, should they be chasing after a house? Should they be going 30% of their income with a mortgage payment? Do you ever look at that stuff and say, can you really afford this property? What type of things do you see? And what are the weird conversations you have with people? Gosh, <laughs> every single time, right? Every single time we, we do reality checks, like we talk to a new first time home buyer and then we ask the question, what is your current rent? Is it $500, $800? And then you're going to buy a house that's $3,000 per month. Uh, a lot of times I'll take, I'll, I'll take their hand and say, hey, you know, take a step back and why don't you try to put away $3,000 a month first for the next six months, see how you feel. Last thing I want to do is put you in a house, and then now you're you're going to say, "Hey, Benson, how come you didn't tell me that I'm going to be house poor now?" <laughs> so it's it's a lifestyle change, right? It's a it's a educated choice that you you gotta have to make. That's a really good way to put it. Is you say because you know it'd be the total value of the house. So I always tell people, it's like, look, there's there's property taxes, there's the insurance, there's there's the cost of repairs. You, you know, you treat it just like a rental property. You're going to say, I'm at CapEx. I'm putting 10% aside or whatever that value would be anyway. So it might be a thousand bucks a year. You're saying, hey, actually live that while you're renting, throw the extra money. So put $3,000 towards your living quarters or whatever the value or whatever you think it's going to be to see whether you can handle it so that you get in the house, you don't immediately have a flipping meltdown. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't afford a, a couch anymore and you can't afford a bed. Right. I talk to buyers that make what 15 K a month live at home and mm -hmm. have barely 10 K in the, in the bank. And you go, well, you got to start saving because you're going to have to make a big payment on the house. You might not like it. <laughs> uh, so, so, so what you're saying is you're really popular in that first meeting when you're doing the reality check when everybody else is saying oh you make this oh we can find you a house for that yeah no i don't i don't you know my goal is my goal is to educate you as a buyer right my goal is not just to just to make that dollar and move on i've been doing this for a while and i've seen things that you know you know when it's wrong and you know people are setting somebody up for an ulcer. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be a delayed bomb. You're going to have a heart attack in about 10 years trying to carry this thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've seen people who didn't listen and they have to, you know, after they buy the house and they put it back on the market in a year mm -hmm. just because they, could, they just couldn't afford it. It's pressure. Yeah. Cook some. But it's pressure everywhere. Social mm -hmm. media, media you know tv television and radio we talk about interest rate talking about mortgage all the time your yep. family's like hey you're getting older you need to go buy a house but then the the real question is ask yourself like are you ready yet right i love that i you know i never like i, I i'm a numbers guy so i like to crunch them but i never really thought about it hey live it so here's what your here's what your mortgage would be here's what the costs would all be let's lump it all up all right spend that put that aside you could take your rent out of it because we want it to be equal, right? Yeah. <laughs> but see how that feels and do that. What, what would you do? Six months, three months, 10 months, whatever? I'd do six months just to see how you feel. And guess what? Your your bank account is going to get fat too. <laughs> They're yeah. not when you're saving that money. Or you're going to be like, "There's, I, I can't afford it. Yeah. Which is fine. Have the reality check. Like you said, it's you're better off not doing something and realizing that, thank God I didn't than doing it and going, oh, I wish I hadn't, right? It's really tough to get out of a house. 
eight percent, ten percent to to dump it, right? So really brutal. But I love that. I'm going to steal that totally. <laughs> and then they always forget about the upgrades, and you know, you're trying to always once you own a house, you just keep wanting to do things to it, build <laughs> out the backyard, buy plants, this and that, and you know, you have perfectly fine lights, but you want LEDs. So, you know, there's always things that you can do to the house once it's yours. I remember my first blinds. It was $11,000 to put blinds in the house. And some of you guys are like, oh, it's not that much. That was my first time I bought a big, like, I don't even have a, the size of a house now, but I bought it. I thought I was the the bee's knees. And I just remember going, man, that's a lot of money. $11,000 for blinds. Yeah. Curtains, you know. And they were the cheap ones. You have in the house. <laughs> And you yeah. have to wash them. <laughs> you got to do weird stuff. Like, yeah, then the, 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 you, you're going to have to get the lawnmower. I live in Vegas where we all have rock yards. So you, you just, water is expensive and anything electric here is expensive. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just you got to figure those things out. Do you ever sit down and get that granular with people and say, like, here's what your utilities are going to be looking like. Here's what this stuff is. Do you ever like sit there and do flick okay. them in the forehead? Like, hey, you're going from an apartment to a house. Your electric bill is going to go from fifty bucks to two hundred. Yeah, we we go we go deep, and actually, in in a lot of locations, I point them to your workshop. <laughs> I tell them to go go take a course on on self finance and learn about it yourself. You can hire financial advisors later. You can hire whatever planners later, but you got to learn how to do it yourself first. You know, at least you know that someone's going to screw you over. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what to look for when they say, come right on in here. Look, here, we can have this all set up for it. Yeah. Thank God that there's people like you, Benson, and and, and Mimi, that you guys are actually doing that. Because I see the the repercussions so often when somebody's trying to get out of their position. Like they're in, I lived here. I don't know if you were doing business during the recession, but in Las Vegas, we lost 75% of our values. And you watch people's lives literally crumble. Their last words, famous last words, but, but I have equity, you know, they'd always say, but I have equity in my house. Nobody wants your house. You financed it at a million bucks. Right. And now it's worth 200. It's never happens. No, it happens. And it happened here. And the average was 75% reduction in value. Now it's recovered. So the old adage is, you know, you're only 10 years, 10 years away from, you know, from fixing any mistake is you had to sit on your hands and you'll be okay. But it's really hard when you're carrying a huge debt load. So we saw it. It was just so heartbreaking to watch people's lives literally get decimated because they they bought something they couldn't afford. Yeah, I think I think right right now today with our system, I think that fixed a lot of issues that we had back in you know four oh five because people are actually really getting underwritten their income. You know, even if you let's say if you buy a million dollar house, you put nine hundred thousand dollars down you're still going to go through the whole process. You don't get any priority. You don't get the 60% debt-to-income ratio. You're still 45% just like everyone else, debt-to-income ratio. You still have to provide pay stubs and W-2s and taxes. You're like, but it's only 100. It's only 100. 100." Yeah, I hear that a lot. (laughs) Well, go make that 100 so you don't have to borrow any money. (laughs) Another thing is um, I, I see a lot of people that I help back in, you know, 2012, 13, mm-hmm. uh, now that they're five, six, seven, eight years in, I feel like they because their income had gone up, 
they started putting more money into the principal on their 3.25% interest rate that's fixed for 30 years. So I think that's something that, you know, when I see that, I cringe, I go, you need to figure out how to, what to do with that extra dollar that you're making. You see them them just paying it down and you would tell them, hey, don't necessarily pay it down. You had a 3.25 interest rate. That's it's not horrific. That's about inflation. Actually, it's probably less than inflation right now. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's like you'd be better off trying to get a a greater return on those dollars. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, again, I'm not a big fan of debt. So I'm always like, hey, people ask me this all the time. Should I pay off my house? Well, it depends. Depends. Yeah. If you have better use for the dollars and you can make seven, eight percent pretty without breaking a sweat, which you can do right now with with dividend producing stocks and things like that, then I would say probably do that instead. And it's not a bad idea, like in California, especially is to have debt against your house because it's not protected under the homestead. So, you know, so if if you own your house outright, you, you might be asking for a problem unless you can do a friendly lien or put a line of credit against it with, with, with your own entity. But there's all that stuff, but it, it's just making sure that you're not a sitting duck. But heck, if somebody's willing to give me 2% money and I know that I'm without breaking a sweat, am I going to bring in six? I'm doing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a point, right? Like um, these people, they work so hard for their money and they want to tuck it away as soon as possible into the house that unless you refinance again, you can't touch that money again, right? Unless you sell it or refi, you can't touch the money. So uh, what I would tell them is to put it in a bank or something. And then they the next question is, well, I don't know what to do with the money. And I tell them that's because you don't have it yet. Once you start <laughs> saving enough, <laughs> and you'll once know you learn you. how to save some, go mm-hmm. talk to my friend Toby and, and he'll, he'll give you a whole list of things that you can do. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely true is you got to buy assets that are paying you. A lot of people just go on more vacations or maybe buy more expensive furniture. Don't do that. Uh, you know, let the, get it towards producing the, uh, the income off of it and then take the income if you feel like it and buy those things, but definitely put it in the asset first. Benson, thanks for joining us. Enlightening as always. Love, love sitting and talking with you. And uh, I'm just really appreciative of you spending the time with us today. Any closing thoughts, any pearls of wisdom that you want to throw at anybody before we conclude? I would say that market's going cuckoo. And you know, if you're looking to buy a house that's over the market price, you got to check out what is the break-even point, you know, inflation appreciation of your house, right? It's gonna go up. X amount of percent, depending on your relocation. So talk to someone who knows their stuff. So you're not overbidding, you know, there's a break even point. So I think talk to professional. Great one. Calculate everything. And then in the immortal words of uh, Warren Buffett, he's still with us. I should say that really good words of Warren Buffett is when other people are greedy, be be fearful. When other people are fearful, be greedy. So if you see a lot of greed, go at it with a little bit of trepidation and then calculate the heck out of everything. Calculate. Benson, you're a rock star. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.